Tuesday, November 7, 2017, Born the Battle podcast brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Timothy Lawson. I hope everybody's doing well. This is the second episode of the week of podcasts leading up to Veterans Day, which is on Saturday, November 11th. And uh, yesterday we we debuted the new title, Born the Battle. We debuted the Benefits Breakdown program, which is uh, just seven to ten minutes of uh, looking into a resource, a benefit, a program office, whatever... um, whatever inspires me, and uh, I'm going to try to take a little deeper look into what that is, or at the very least, explain more of it than maybe you would normally get out of a uh, out of a blog post or a tweet or something like that, and, and helping you, helping my audience understand what's available and how to take advantage of, uh, of what you may qualify for. As I said, today is November 7th. Look, if if free food isn't your thing, I understand. I know some veterans uh, have a principle against this stuff. But uh, if that's something you're interested in, I will note that uh, November 7th, Chipotle is doing a buy one, get one free uh, for for military members and, and, and veterans, I believe. Um, so take a friend and uh, go, get, uh, go get a burrito, buy one, get one. Today's featured interview is with Sebastian Younger. Some of you are probably wondering, whoa, Sebastian Younger, is he a veteran? No, he's not. I thought about it long and hard and uh, decided that Sebastian fits the bill, especially with the theme of today and tomorrow, which is storytellers. Um, And um, before we get to Sebastian's interview, I'll tell you about Storytellers. Storytellers X, to be exact, Storytellers X is the TEDx version of Got Your Six's flagship storytellers events. Now, they just put one on last night in LA, the like a, the, the their storytellers event. They have another one going on tomorrow night in Washington, D.C., both of those uh, streaming from their Facebook, and I'm sure videos will be up uh, later. But VA has partnered with uh, Got Your Six to bring these sto- the storytelling events at a much local, more local level like a TEDx would. And they're going to be at the local community veteran engagement boards nationwide throughout November and December. Uh, just looking at the uh, list of places I see here, Connecticut, Maine, Colorado, uh, Illinois, North Carolina, New York, New York, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, Cleveland, Ohio, Tucson, Arizona. Um, so there's a handful of places across, and, and they're still looking for people to host these things. Um, if you go to blogs.va.gov and just search storytellers, you'll see the blog. You'll see the blog post. It's called VA and Got Your Six Announced Storytellers Events Across the Nation. That has more information there. Uh, but these events are going to be cool. There's a lot of power in storytelling. I'm familiar with it not only from my podcasting days, but I have also uh, participated in a TEDx event. But Storytellers is more, the, the events I'm talking about is more about talking about service and how and how one's military service helped get them to where they are now or how that's connected, right? So where they are now, their service, how those two things are connected, that journey. Um, and that's what, and that's how, that's what Got Your Six uh, has aimed for. And we're piggybacking off of that with the Storytellers X events. Really excited to, to move forward with that initiative with them. Again, uh, go to blogs.va.gov. Uh, search storytellers in the uh, in the search bar, and the VA and Got Your Six Announced Storytellers X events across the nation is the blog you're looking for for more information on that. 
So featured interview with Sebastian Younger. So those of you unfamiliar with Sebastian, he recently wrote the book Tribe. Uh, on homecoming and belonging, he's also uh, he also wrote War. He wrote The Perfect Storm, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. He's been a he's an award-winning journalist. He has uh, spent a lot of time in conflict zones, war zones, uh, and has seen the worst of it, like many veterans have. And I and I that's why um, when the idea of talking to Sebastian to Sebastian about storytelling came up. I hesitated briefly uh, because you know we want to stay true to uh, to our to our veterans and, and featuring them on this show. But um, I think that it benefits veterans for us to talk to Sebastian about his experiences, what he has seen from the veteran community from his uh, from his point of view, um, and just you know what he's learned through storytelling of his own, through hearing others. So Sebastian Younger came on. And uh, it was I was glad that we did the interview because um, he's gonna he's gonna talk to us about the power in sharing your experience, combat or not, but especially those that have been deployed. The power of sharing your experience to your community, not just your your veteran friends and your your military peers, but your actual community and allowing them to better understand, uh, maybe not completely understand, but to better understand what you experienced and in some ways to take some ownership of, um, of a conflict, of, a, of an experience that they helped, you know, fund through taxpaying dollars and, and, you know, maybe voted for through their representatives and stuff like that. So it's a really cool conversation. I'm excited for you to listen to it. Award-winning journalist Sebastian Younger. Enjoy. We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838. All right, Sebastian Younger, uh, author of The Perfect Storm, War, and more recently, Tribe. Uh, Sebastian, one thing that I find really fascinating ab- uh, about you is uh, multiple times in recent history uh, when, I've, when I've talked to people about you, people are surprised to learn that you aren't a veteran. Um, do, you, do you get that confusion at all? I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure it comes with your, how closely associated you are with the military community, but uh, do, do, do you get people often confusing you for a veteran? Yeah, I do. Um, I think there's I think veterans often are surprised that uh, with my experience with the U.S. military, they just sort of assume that I would have had some kind of military background. Uh, and, you know, I haven't. I've been a war reporter since the early 90s. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've, I've never I've never served this country or any country. Yeah. Did you uh, did you ever consider the military when you were younger? No, not at all. You know, I, I grew up in a very liberal family uh, during Vietnam, uh, and every adult I knew was against the war and against the whole U.S. war machine. And, and, and frankly, there, nothing, I mean, nothing seemed less appealing than a peacetime army. Yeah. You know, if, if had 9-11 happened when I was 25, 
I, I think that would have completely changed my calculations. But, you know, I got out of college in 1984 and did nothing looked more boring than, you know, like being in a peace, you know, the U.S. military in peacetime. And so I didn't even consider it. But what I did consider was being a war reporter. I mean, that world of conflict definitely was compelling to me, particularly because my father was a war refugee. So that was a world I was sensitized to. Uh, but I, I did not in any way want to wear a uniform. Yeah. Well, you know, the the first question I ask uh, each veteran on this show is why they decided to join the military. So I'm going to alter that to uh, when it's almost similar for you, you've decided to also go into areas of conflict. Uh, what what made you decide to pursue journalism in conflict zones? Well, I sort of wallowed through my 20s trying to write about things in the United States. And, I, you know, I had various jobs to pay my Living, I was mostly I was a climber for tree companies. I was an arborist and I worked very high up in the air and with a chainsaw on a rope. And I eventually got pretty badly hurt doing it. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll write about dangerous jobs. And that brought me to the perfect storm. So that was my first book, um, nonfiction, obviously. It was based on a storm in 1991 on the East Coast. And um, but also it got me thinking about war reporting. And that was particularly compelling to me because my father was a refugee from the Spanish Civil War, pushed into France, uh, and that's how he wound up in this country. And um, so I was very curious about war, and, um, I, and there was a civil war in Bosnia. Sarajevo was besieged, and I thought, oh, my God, maybe if I go there, I can sort of earn my stripes as a journalist and make a full living as a journalist. Maybe I just have to jump in, and that's what I did. So, um, you know, for those for those listening that may be less familiar with you and your work, do you have? I mean, I know you have thousands of sto- stories, but uh, maybe do you have a story that you can share from one of your times in those areas? Maybe uh, one that you think either epitomizes your experience or one that you recall on often. Oh my God, there's so many. Um, I was in Kabul. I was in Afghanistan in 1996, right when the Taliban were taking over. Um, and, um, I remember a guy in Jalalabad, an Afghan guy, obviously America wasn't there yet. And, uh, I remember a guy in Jalalabad pointing up at the Tora Bora mountains and saying, there's foreigners up there. There's Arabs up there training. And I'm an, he says, I'm an Afghan. I can't even go up there and they'll kill me. And this is my country. Something very bad will come of this. And I just, you know, how prophetic those words were. And it's one of those things as a journalist, like sometimes you'll get a glimpse of the future and you won't even know it. Um, a couple of weeks later, I was in Kabul on the front lines outside Kabul, and I was I was shot at by a Taliban machine gunner. They hadn't overrun Kabul yet. And the guy that I was with was a young Pashtun kid. And, and he said, you know, we hate those people, the Taliban. We hate them, but we're going to let them in because we're so sick of the civil war and the corruption in this country, and they'll clean up the corruption. And um, I thought of that many times after I my, my brilliant friend, Sarah Shays, who was an NPR reporter and now works at Carnegie, um, wrote a book about how all of the really radical Islamic movements um, like al-Shabaab in Somalia and Boko Haram in Nigeria, ISIS and the Taliban, al-Qaeda, they all gain traction in the populace, not because people want radical Islam to be ru- ruled by radical Islam, but because all of these movements cl- uh, promise to clean up corruption in the government. And if we really want to fight terrorism, really what we should be doing is fighting corruption in our in the governments we're allied with. And that would go a very long way in, in buffering those countries against the, the um, solution of radical Islam for that terrible problem of corruption. Yeah. 
We always we always talk to veterans about their transitions out of the military. And in Tribe, you touched on how warriors for centuries have been coping with returning from war through storytelling. Uh, when you when you return from a conflict area, how do you yourself um, transition back into into you know normal life here in America? How's that transition for you? Well, most of the wars that I covered, I was not with American forces because they weren't involved. I was all over civil wars in Africa and the Middle East. And so I was over there um, solo. I was not with a unit. So I wasn't bonding with this tight community. I was just on my own uh, in Liberia or Sierra Leone or Afghanistan or wherever it might have been. And, and I came home alone. So the transition wasn't as bad because I wasn't saying goodbye to a close-knit unit, a platoon that I had shared a year, you know, a year straight with. So, so, you know, I think I had a much easier when I came back from the Korangal Valley, having spent time in an American platoon, that was much, much harder because suddenly I was going from this group to being an individual. And I, and, and, you know, I didn't have it nearly as badly as the soldiers did, but uh, the soldiers that I covered, but, but what, what I found is that I mean, there's two there's two problems when you come back from war. One is that some soldiers, maybe around 10 percent of the U.S. military is actually in in combat and they are in a position to be traumatized by combat. Um, So you have for some people, one in 10, roughly you have trauma. But for everyone, you have a transition problem of going from a close knit unit to this very alienated American society, very individualized American society. And even if you weren't in, in combat, even if you weren't traumatized, which, of course, is the majority of American soldiers, it doesn't matter. That transition is really hard. So people in the Peace Corps, one quarter of Peace Corps volunteers, when they come back to the United States, sink into a deep depression. And, you know, obviously those people weren't in combat. That transition is very, very hard. And and I, I struggled with it when I came back from the Korangal. But psychologists will tell you that only around 20 percent. 20% of traumatized people um, wind up getting stuck in a sort of trauma loop where they have a long-term problem with it. So most people will, will recover on their own um, from, from the effects of trauma, you know, in a few months or a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, touching on, uh, you know, your time coming back from the Korangal, in those transitions, did you experience any emotional crisis? Yes. I, I, well, I, I found myself, to have a, well, first of all, because of all the combat out there, I had a very exaggerated startle response. I had a lot of um, combat dreams. Um, and I had a very, and this I attribute to the, um, to, to, to being included in that group. So this is a positive thing, not a negative thing, but I, I had a very high level of emotionality. And by that, I mean that I, I would, I would, um, I would get extremely emotional and tearful um, at, in, in all kinds of random circumstances. I mean, at the post office or watching a mother with her little child or at a wedding or, you know, all, I mean, all these things that like, I don't think they don't merit tears. They're good things. They're beautiful things. Right. But suddenly I was getting emotional all over the place. And, and I was also, um, you know, not long after I returned, um, my colleague who I made Restrepo with was killed in combat in Libya. You know, I was supposed to be Tim Hetherington. I was supposed to be with him on assignment. The last minute I couldn't go and he got killed and I felt enormously uh, guilty and an enormous amount of grief. And so I would also struggle with the same, I think the same kind of depression 
that soldiers get um, uh, related to grief and guilt over the loss of, of brothers and sisters. And and that's a very, very, I think, a very important part of PTSD, the sort of guilt that you survived and someone you love didn't survive. And that and you're going to get that at the Vegas shootings. You're going to get that in the wildfires in Santa Rosa. I mean, you don't have to be a soldier to experience that life. Life uh, kills people. And the survivors really, really struggle uh, with their, quote, good luck at surviving. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think I think those listening can understand how a mother with the, with her child in a wedding can be emotional. What were you tearing up at, at for at, at the post office? What, what was getting you there? Uh, you know, I mean, just here was this old, you know, old person who had worked at the post office their, their whole life and they were just they're doing their job. Yeah. And just that was um, and, you know, for the record, I'd never cried at a wedding before this. Right. So. You know, like this was all new behavior. But, you know, at the post office, I was just suddenly moved at the sort of quiet dignity of of of, mo- of most people, uh, you know, just going about their lives. And and there was something about that that just choked me up. And I and I actually left the post office like I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> um, so some I can only relate to this, you know, obviously through my own eyes and, and I haven't seen um combat, but um I definitely exited the military um with um you know with pro- with emotional cra- with like with problems of transition problems and, and depression and uh and I've learned it telling your story at the very least um from what I've learned uh opens the door for more coping down the road in that when you tell a bunch of people what you've experienced, having that conversation again down the road becomes just a little bit easier. Um, talk to us about the power behind storytelling. Um, and you can touch on the, the ideas that you explained in tribe and how it can help those returning from conflict cope with their experiences. Well, there's enormous cathartic value in telling one story. I mean, that part of the power of uh, of therapy um, is that you're telling your story to the therapist. And, you know, of course, they have knowledge that's helpful. But, you know, part of the value is just the fact that you're articulating and sharing something that happened to you that feels important and emotional. Now, imagine doing that same process, but for not your shrink but for your entire community, for the community that you fought for, right? I mean, that in a sort of ancient sense, when uh, in in small-scale society, hunter-gatherer society, which, of course, is what humans evolved for and spent 90% of their history doing, was living in small groups in mostly nomadic hunter-gatherer uh, economies. Um, storytelling was, that was how people participated in the group. Right. And you didn't have to be a returning warrior. You could be a hunter. You could be a mother. You could be a shaman. I mean, whatever. I mean, that is that is how human community was organized and run. And when you do that, two things happen. First of all, in telling your people what you did for them. um, And I think you could I think this would would apply to the post office worker, too. I mean, you don't have to be a soldier, really anyone functioning in any capacity for the community can do this. When you tell your community what you did for them, you unburden yourself of some of the emotional cargo that comes with that task because you're sharing it with others. And it allows other people to then participate in that emotionality and in the sort of moral um, 
you know, in some ways the moral debt. I mean, there's a, I mean, waging war and killing people incurs a sort of moral, a moral burden, right? And even if you believe it's a just war and a righteous war, there is still a moral burden in killing. And when you tell your community that you killed for them and that you saw your friends die for them, you are asking them, the community, to take some of that, to, 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 to own the conflict. I mean, if a soldier kills, you know, when a soldier pulls a trigger at a checkpoint in Ramadi and accidentally kills an Iraqi family that was not a threat, the entire nation of America killed that person, killed that family. I mean, we paid the taxes, we bought the gun, we did the training, we shipped him over there. He pulled the trigger, but that death really belongs to all of us. Um, and and so I think when you allow veterans to talk about things, particularly things that pain them, um, it, it, it forces the nation and the community to take on ownership of of the, of the war. And I, I don't say that as a in a, I'm not in an anti-war position when I say that. I'm, I'm strictly speaking as on a sort of in emotional terms for soldiers. Yeah, that's. I thought it was interesting that you know, you, you brought up um, the, the therapist uh, at the beginning and how you know you're, you know, while a therapist is prepared to help you process some things, a lot of their job is really just to let you talk, right? Let you get talk and, and get things out. And um, I've I've mentioned on VA's blog before that I've just started therapy myself and have found myself saying something very something that's not hidden, something that is normal, but I'll say it to my therapist and realize, oh, that's something I should tell somebody else. And then like in my next opportunity, we'll tell them. And it's not because it's hidden or secret or it was difficult for me to process. I just had never uh, – I just never um, processed it, you know, uh, getting it out there. And when I did, I was like, oh, that's a good thing for me to talk about. And I realized – I noticed a lot of veterans um, – when they start, when they get opportunities to do public speaking, when they get opportunities to, um, you know, talk to high schools, when they get opportunities to be just a part of support groups and stuff like that, when they start talking about their experience, whether or not they were guarded about it, it was getting it out there initially is what helped them continue to get it out there to other people. Um, and like you said, the communities to help them own part of that experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's understandable, but I think very, very destructive for veterans is the veteran attitude you some you, I, that I often encounter is the sort of like you'd never. I'm not going to talk about because you'd never understand. Yeah, that's a that's a useless criterion for whether you should speak with someone. I mean, I you know, I I mean, I am as a man, I'm never going to like understand in that sense childbirth, right? I'm a man, but that doesn't mean that a woman who's given birth can't talk to me about the experience and communicate something of its essence to me. Like, this is just an absurd standard that you can yeah, only speak yeah. to someone who've had an identical experience that you've had. And it, and it allows veterans to wall themselves off. And, you know, what's terrible about that is that it deprives America of actually hearing about the war that they commissioned and paid for. They should hear the good stuff and the bad stuff. I mean, you know, if countries are going to wage war, they should really hear all of it, like right up front in their face. Um, but, but also it, 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 you know, I think for a lot of veterans, particularly the ones that were not traumatized, that were just in a rear base unit and are, as, as you say, are missing, you know, like the transit, the transition was difficult, even though there was no trauma involved. Um, what you, the thing you don't want to do is isolate yourself more. I mean, that's perpetuating the problem. You need to, you need to stop. Veterans need to stop at some point for their own sake, at some point, stop seeing themselves as 
um, inescapably different from everyone else and therefore isolated from the rest of the nation. Like they are guaranteeing uh, psychological problems for the rest of their lives if they insist on that kind of sort of ghettoizing themselves and their valor. Yeah, I think you know what you talked about earlier with uh, with the um, the one approach of being well, I'm not going to talk to you about it because you wouldn't understand. It's very counterproductive, right? Like the like you know how then can anybody understand if no one talks to any? You know that's that's the whole point of storytelling, right? Or like, you know that that's a big part of storytelling. Is a big part of sharing experiences is for uh, better understanding of of what each other's been through. And uh, you know I think childbirth is a really great example of that. Um, so moving that idea forward um, to the powers storytelling as it's used to explain where one's been uh, and how that contributes to where they are now. That's sort of where, um, you know, VA is partnering with Got Your Six to piggyback on Got Your Six's storyteller initiative, and they're going to do Storytellers X, where veterans in the local communities can not only share their experience, like, like how we've been talking about, but share their experience as a foundation and as a reflection of uh, where they've been and how this contributed to where they are now. And it's something that we're seeing a lot of veterans doing as they transition into different industries, new areas of life, uh, et cetera, it's, especially since a lot of recent conflict veterans are now, you know, five to 10 years outside of their service. Um, where, what have you seen as far as that as, as veterans moving forward in their life and using that story that the power of storytelling as a reflection uh, more so than a coping mechanism? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of um, examples of that. I mean, people, human beings just naturally instinctively know that they need to tell stories in order to share their burden. And even if it's just with your wife or your husband, I mean, people, we all kind of intuitively know that. Um, I just saw a really interesting study in a British psychiatric journal uh, showing that the, the wealthier the society, the higher the rates of PTSD, and the poorer the society, the lower rates of PTSD. My guess is that part one of the reasons is that in small scale, poorer small scale societies, people are are more um, socially connected. I mean, they live close, squished closer together. They have to participate. They have to be more collaborative because they're poor and they need to share resources. Um, if you talk to the Peshmerga fighters, the Iraqi fighters, the, the Afghan fighters, like you talk to them about PTSD and they just look at you like you're crazy. And, you know, it's not that they're tougher than us. It's that they live in small communities and the experiences that they have get shared. And, and um, the communities participate in the lives of the soldiers and vice versa. And I'm sure that was true of the Comanche and the Apache and the Navajo and everybody else in the earlier parts of, uh, of American history. Um, so if you go to my website, sebastianyounger.com, there's a page on it called Veteran Town Hall. And what we, st I, I had this idea taken from uh, Native American ceremonies for bringing warriors back into the community after combat. Um, and of course, those Native societies that have been doing exactly that for, for you know, 10, 15,000 years, like they know, they know how to do it. And they're still doing it in the context of modern wars. They're still bringing veterans back into the tribal community with ceremonies. And those ceremonies involve the returning veteran dancing, singing, speaking, telling the community what he or she did uh, in overseas for them, for the community, for the nation. And the, they have enormous, incredibly low rates of PTSD, as it turns out. Um, so, so if you go onto my website, what, 
one of the things I started doing at town halls was having organizing uh, events on Veterans Day where veterans of any war, and I've seen from World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and the current conflicts, have they each have 10 minutes to stand up in front of their community. I don't mean in front of a bunch of vets. I mean their community, like the town that they live in, that they fought for. Um, and they get 10 minutes to stand up and talk about what it felt like to serve. And, you know, some of them, we've done this many times, and, and some veterans are incredibly proud of their service. And it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And other veterans are incredibly angry at the government, at the fact that they fought a war, um, and it really just boiling over with rage. But, you know, if you're going to again send people to war, some people are going to be angry. I mean, as a nation, we should face and embrace that anger because it's part of the experience of war. And, you know, some veterans were, um, you know, basically crying too hard to even speak very effectively. Yeah, usually. Usually over a, a, a miss, you know, a missing brother or sister, you know, someone that was killed near them in combat. And so what this does is, again, it, it's a very cathartic experience for the veterans, but it's incredibly important for the community to hear these stories and hear the ambivalence, the pride and the anger and the grief, and to and to go home carrying the partly carrying the burden of those feelings for the veterans. And so I think it's very important if you have these sort of this kind of speaking therapy that you you must do it in a mixed civilian community if you just do it in an in a, in a context of fellow veterans um you're, you're missing an important part of what that process should be yeah absolutely um sebastian that's uh this has all been uh really great i think i think storytelling is one that um i think the veteran community values but as as you pointed out right there um, I think we are uh, going back to that you will understand idea. I think veterans have, and in a lot of cases, have forced themselves to only be around veterans, and there's definitely uh, ways where that's beneficial. But um, you know, as a society, we're society is not going to be able to take ownership um, and help share some of that experience if uh, if they don't hear the stories from uh, from the veterans. Um, to, to wrap this up, uh, Sebastian, a, a question that I like to ask uh, each one of my guests is a way to, for us to learn about the veteran community and, and maybe uh, find out who's doing cool things. To give me a veteran or a veteran organization that uh, that you are familiar with that, that, or that they have you really excited about what they're doing right now. Oh, God. Um, you know, I, I, I've, t- I've spoken with and to so many organizations. I mean, got your six is pretty, I, I really like their idea. Um, and, um, I mean, I, you know, early on, I, I, I started working with IABA because they're just such a big umbrella organization. And, and I think they've, you know, they've built a really amazing sort of edifice in the society. Um, obviously any big organization makes mistakes and, you know, they have to, I suppose, but, um, that I, you know, I, I might go with, with, uh, got your six, Okay. Yeah, very well. Uh, Sebastian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for talking uh, to my audience, to our veterans, uh, and for giving us your insights on the power of storytelling and sharing the experience of conflict and war. Thank you very much. I I enjoyed it. When my husband came home from Vietnam, he didn't really look into all his VA benefits. But now I've got some health issues, and I'm glad VA is there for me. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov.
And since I do the, the benefits breakdown on Mondays now, not going to really touch on much after the interview, except just to reiterate the VA and Got Your Six Storytellers X events that are across the nation. Uh, look up that blog that I mentioned earlier, blogs.va.gov, search Storytellers X, you'll find it there. Um, and just see how you can get involved, see if maybe you can host one um, or see if there's one going on going on near near you. Um, despite all that, go to uh, Got Your Six's Facebook page to make to watch the Storytellers X events that they're putting on, both in Los Angeles from last night, Washington, D.C., tomorrow night. Today's veteran of the day is Army Nurse Corps veteran Grace Elizabeth Farley. Grace served during World War II. She recalls on her first night in England when she was deployed there that she was greeted by German planes dropping bombs on a nearby town. And that is when her and those that she arrived with realized that they were, in fact, in a combat zone. And uh, she was a busy one at that, as she recalls with the Veteran History Project, that as a nurse in the operating room, she only ever left to eat and sleep. We honor Grace's service. To read Grace's full write-up and then nominate your own Veteran of the Day, go to blogs.va.gov. That's it for episode 57, Born the Battle. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's a lot of a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time here with me. You can follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs to get more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.